Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and we will be recapping, unfortunately, heartbreakingly, the final game of the Knicks season, a 103 to 89 loss to the Atlanta Hawks at home. They fall in the series four to one. Alex, what are we going to get into as we break this all down? Uh, there's a bunch to get into. I mean, there was. Uh, I was in the building, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what the atmosphere was like at MSG last night. Talk about obviously Julius Randle uh, and his performance. Talk about the rest of the team, but just also talk about the way that the Hawks were still able to beat the Knicks. I want to get in a couple licks about the officiating because I didn't think it was particularly well-called game, but there, there's a bunch of different things to get into, plus just a little a little eulogy for the season uh, and, and a little big-picture talk at the end just to sort of su- wrap things up before we obviously get into a ton of off-season coverage for you guys. So all that's coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. I'm Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play broadcaster. I actually missed most of the first quarter of last night's game because I was calling some thrilling lacrosse action on Long Island. Definitely worth it. Um, And he's Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland. Um, There is some construction going on around my apartment, so if you hear that, I'll preemptively apologize, and you you can just consider it a metaphor for the construction the Knicks will have to do to not get wrecked in the first round of next year's playoffs. That was the best transition I could make, Alex. It wasn't a great one, but it it was was a valiant attempt, I'll say. The Knicks fall 103-89 to to the Atlanta Hawks. It was a game that I thought embodied a lot of the trends um, of, of this series in that the Knicks came out with a lot of energy. They collectively played really hard, and yet there were just a few too many faults in the armor, including Julius Randle, um, again, outside of a stretch from the late first quarter to early second, not shooting the ball real well, making a whole lot of mistakes as he finished this game with eight turnovers. Defensively, the same issues that have cropped up all series for the Knicks continue to just an inability to to really find an answer to the Trey Young, Clint Capella pick and roll. And when they did find answers, it just it opened up leaks all throughout the rest of their defense. And then just on a holistic level, offensively, really lacking for most of the game, any kind of coordination or rhythm. They found it for fits and spurts, and it allowed them to be right in the game going into halftime. But as the Hawks inevitably started hitting some threes, the Knicks just didn't really have quite enough on the other end in terms of diversity of of threats to challenge the Hawks and keep up with them. Um, The Knicks mounted a little bit of a late run. They got it within 11 with with 215 left, but ultimately Atlanta behind a late Trey Young three 
put the Knicks away, a 14-point win, Alex. It didn't even necessarily feel quite that close to me. Um, I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say the Knicks went out with a whimper, but it, it wasn't it wasn't quite what I expected coming into this game where I really thought if the Knicks were going to lose, like the Hawks were going to have to bury them in, in, in the final seconds of this one. And instead, Atlanta um, kind of capitalizing on the same advantage as they did all series, cruised into a win and into the second round. Yeah, and it, it came down to a bad third quarter again. You know, the Knicks just, they really got exposed on not making, I, I guess to a degree, not making in-game adjustments, but also just letting things fall apart in-game in this series. I mean, really, they, they didn't come out looking that bad in this game. Um, you know, they, they were tied after one. It was 21-21. I thought the first quarter, you know, the Knicks did a pretty good job of kind of keeping things even, you know, whatever. But the, the big thing to me that, I mean, I, I said to my wife, you know, at, at, when we were at Madison Square Garden watching this, like, at halftime, everybody's buzzing because you're like, oh, they're only down by five, whatever. Like, they could still win this. And I said to her, I was like, I really don't think they're going to win this game <laughs> because they had only, the Hawks had only made one three, I think, in the whole first half. And if at most it was two, they were shooting like sub 10% at the end of the first half from three. And you just knew that wasn't going to hold up. And they only had to get, you know, to a respectable level from three, which they wound up eventually shooting nine of 34, 26 and a half percent that that was enough to put the Knicks away because it was just like, if you can't even beat this team when they're not making threes, then what are you going to do when they, they start making a few of them? Uh, and the answer was they, they lost. And, you know, it, it, it to your point, you know, I, I think that there was just, it was kind of uninspired. Um, I, I definitely agree with your assessment. Like my, thoughts on Randall was he just seemed super tentative the whole game. I just kept like, <laughs> if you can't tell my voice, is a little, a little shot. I just kept yelling, like attack, like get after these guys. Like it was, I, I don't know what made it so much more frustrating in person to see him, you know, get these matchups that he was feasting on all year previously, uh, like literally averaged almost 40 points per game against this team during the regular season. And he just was not attacking them or he would attack them and then bail out at the last second for whatever reason. Now, I don't know if that's because he was convinced that he wasn't going to get a foul call or what the case was, um, you know, because it seemed like he would bail out right before the opportunity to like go up hard for a layup and try to draw a foul. And, you know, Capella blocked a few of his and RJ's attempts cleanly, but there was also a number of times where I thought that, the Knicks, if if it was a Hawks player going at a Knicks player, it would have been called a foul in the in the paint. And because it was a Knicks player going at a Hawks player, it was not called a foul. And you know, I, I think there was just this. It, I'm not going to say that officiating decided a game that ultimately was a 14 point game by the time all was said and done. But I think that it set the tone in kind of a bad way and sort of influenced how the Knicks played the game by and large. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it was frustrating. It was it was frustrating to watch in person. I still I feel good that I was able to um, experience it and and go to a game at MSG. But it was I mean I did not love how the Knicks went out in these playoffs. Um, it was just not not ideal uh, as far as a an overall result of the season. 
Yeah, he, I mean, you'll get no argument from me. What, what really was was backbreaking was all the offensive rebounds the Hawks were getting, and I thought it was. I mean, it was it was almost like the Hawks were, were a disease in in the. This is this kind of a morbid analogy, or like a disease in the in the Knicks symptom, and they just kind of eventually like overwhelmed the Knicks's quote unquote immune defenses, and then and then it was just over, and the, and the Knicks were dead. It was, and the rebounding to me was sort of the final step where it was like, all right, they just, they, the Hawks have put too much strain on this team. And, and eventually, like, the Knicks just kind of cracked under the pressure. And the Hawks, they finished this game with 14 offensive rebounds. Watching it live, it, it honestly, it felt like more. And I think just because there were these flurries in the first quarter and then in the third and fourth quarter where it felt like Atlanta was just getting everything. And, and every time they missed, they would end up with a second opportunity, and they had all these different ways to break the Knicks. I mean, it was it was Trey Young who shot horribly early in this game. Like he was at one point in the third quarter. I thought this was a telling stat. He was five for twenty. The Hawks were something like I, I want to say um, five for twenty-seven from three, and yet they were still up by thirteen points. And, and it, it just kind of drove home that like. All right, I mean, officiating aside, Randall playing really, really poorly aside, lack of adjustments aside, I, I just think Atlanta had more answers ultimately. And, and you can see it in, in all the, the, the versatility of their attack. And I, I thought a lot of it was really good coaching by Nate McMillan because you would see the Knicks basically do all they could to stick with those pick and rolls, right? That, that, that was the, the heart and soul of Atlanta's offense throughout the series, just Trey setting up top of the key, Capella setting a screen, and, and then the Knicks being under a whole lot of pressure to stick with both of them. And, and there's already so many things you have to take into account. Trey can shoot the three, um, which he didn't do very well this game. He can get all the way to the rim. He can take a floater, or he can throw that lob to Capella. Or or even if he doesn't throw that lob to Capella, if you overcommit on Trey, Capella can just get the rebound and clean it up, as he did multiple times in this game, multiple times throughout this series. But then even on plays when the Knicks had that covered up, Trey would just swing it over to the weak side, and all of a sudden you have Bogdanovich or or Herter or Hunter attacking um, a defense that's already so spread out, and and that's sort of the I mean what what makes this Hawks team really good and what made them the I think the third best record in the league post All Star break. It's that they have all these guys, unlike the Knicks, who can pass, dribble, and shoot, and make good decisions, and they kept weaponizing that over and over again, whether it was. Bogdanovich, like there was a play, I think it was late third quarter, where he came around a screen and Obi was, or RJ thought Obi was going to switch onto him, and Obi showed, and then he didn't really cover him, and Bogdanovich just sprinted around it. Two Knicks come up to help, and then Bogdanovich just whips a cross court pass to Lou Williams, who is basically an hour to set up for a wide open three. Uh, another one where RJ was chasing Bogdanovich on a screen from behind, and you could tell Gibson wanted to step up. But he had Capella rolling towards the rim, and the Hawks, unlike the Knicks, actually had sufficient spacing, and they had three other shooters planted around the court, so no one else comes up to help. And then Bogey just kind of waits in the lane. He's like, oh, RJ's still behind me, and Gibson's not going to step up. And he just takes one step in and makes a layup. And it was, it was just it, it, the game became really, really simple for the Hawks as this series went on because they just put the Knicks into these impossible binds, and Tibbs insisted on going defense for offense, but the issue was the individual defenders – weren't so good that they could survive all that stress that the Hawks were putting on them. I think mainly because the Knicks didn't have Mitchell Robinson. They didn't have someone at the center position who could take away two things at once. And because of that, 
Um, Atlanta was pouring on points. And then at the other end, because they insisted on playing a center who couldn't contribute offensively, the Knicks just didn't have the firepower to keep up. So I, I think this was partially decisions from the coaching staff, partially roster talent. I, I know I'm just doing a version of a rant that I've been doing all series, but the point is the Hawks, between their coaching and between their players, were, were, were just a, a far superior team than the Knicks. And I know that hurts to hear. And I think the Knicks, with different strategies, this could have been a six or even a seven-game series. But I, I think you, you ultimately have to kind of tip your cap and say, all right, Atlanta was the better team. If you're the Knicks, what can we do next season to ensure that isn't the case? But Alex, that's a question for later on in this podcast and later on in this offseason. Um, I'm, I'm talking about repairing the Knicks. How about repairing some cars? What, what, what can we do about that? <laughs> yes, well, this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. So you're in luck if you got to repair your car. We have just the place for you. Uh, rockauto.com is the best place to get parts at an always low price and not have to pay more just because you're not a mechanic. If you go into one of those big box stores or you know into one of their storefronts, they're definitely going to charge you more than they charge their mechanic customers. They're also going to try to sell you the most expensive part so they can make the most commission, whatever else. You know, It's just not generally a good experience going into one of those stores. That's where rockauto.com comes in. For example, if you got to Replace the fuel pump assembly for your 05 to 2010 Honda Odyssey. Get the family minivan going again. If you went to Advance Auto Parts, that would run you $354. That is only $217 at rockauto.com. That's almost a $150 difference. That is not insignificant. And that's the case with pretty much all parts at rockauto.com. I even bought a gas cap for my car. And saved half the price of what it would have cost on Amazon, if you could believe that. You know, they're even beating Jeff Bezos. Nobody beats Jeff Bezos, but these guys are. RockAuto.com is the place to go for your parts. And you can know that you're dealing with a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. So they're going to take care of you and make sure that you get what you need and get it fast, delivered right to your door for the best price possible. So if you want to check out what's available for your car truck, head to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car truck. And if you decide to buy something right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, and we're back. And Gavin, I want to touch on something you just said a second ago. But today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. And I certainly use some alcohol assistance to enjoy last night's game a little more. Um, (laughs) At any rate, uh, the thing that I wanted to touch on was the, the... point about you know Mitch and the the difference that he could potentially have made in this series I don't know what again I, I don't know what it was about just like being in person last night and and watching the game that way but you know I just feel like I noticed some different th- I guess I was sitting kind of baseline too so it's like a different angle to approach the game from but the main thing that I kept thinking was just like Mitchell Robinson would have made such a huge difference in this series like defensively and offensively. I mean, the thing that I think about on offense is, and I, you know, I went on, I went on locked on today last night after the game too, and talked to Peter Bukowski about this uh, a little bit. I think off air, I don't think this actually made it on air, 
but he was like, you know, what do you think it, the solution is it, you know, some of these different positions or whatever. And I was like, I think the center position, like if you just got Mitchell Robinson back, it would have made such a huge difference because the big thing that kept making Mitch so tentative was Capella shading over and blocking his way to the rim. And that was, those are the moments where you saw him be like the most afraid during these games was when he would get a matchup with someone that he cooked all season long, like a John Collins, a Danilo Gallinari. There was even one instance last night where he got Trey Young switched on him and everybody in the building was screaming, like, attack him, like, go after him. And Randall passed out of that situation because there was just, you know, there was the heat on the inside of someone shading over. And I just think if you had Mitch on offense there, you know, the problem with Taj and Noel, even though they they filled in really nicely for Mitch uh, when he was injured and, you know, obviously helped the Knicks to that nine game win streak and all that other stuff. I mean, that their accomplishments shouldn't be downplayed for what they meant to the team this season. But Taj, the only way to get him the ball under the hoop is it was essentially those wraparound passes where you'd have to drive all the way to the baseline and then try to wrap it around Capella to get it to him. And we saw so many of those get broken up, whether it was Julius throwing the pass, RJ throwing the pass, whatever, you know, you just, you can't get away with that because he's too long and he has, he has too good of instincts to, you know, not get a hand on that when you're trying to get it around the Taj underneath. And then with Noel, you just, you can't, the Hawks knew this too. It was very obvious that they, they did their homework and they realized you don't have to pay any mind to Nerlens Noel because his hands are really bad on offense. You know, he's a lob threat that can't catch lobs. So you could try to throw Noel lobs, but I, I think instead of that being a, let's not say a hundred percent proposition with Mitch, but let's say like a, a 90% or 95% proposition that that's going to go in with Mitch, where you know that he's got the hands to handle that and get it through Um, with Noel, it it probably becomes like a 50 50. And, you know, even if it was a contested shot at the rim or whatever, 50 50 is not a good percentage, let alone a lob that should be easy. So I just think, I think Mitch would have really been a difference maker here. I do think that like, you know, I, I don't want to say that he would have definitively swung the series, but it does give me hope that the Knicks won't get game planned like this in the future, even if they make minimal additions this offseason, as long as Mitch can stay healthy. And that's that's going to be a big if, obviously. The, the broken hand was a freak injury. That doesn't worry me, worry me in the slightest. I don't think that he's going to like be breaking his hand for the rest of his life uh, because of that one break. But the broken foot does worry me a bit. I mean, it, it, dating back in history, that same injury has affected guys like uh, the Yao Ming basically had his career ended by that injury. That's the big one that I can think of. Uh, but there's been a number of other guys that, that had that injury as well that have had a hard time coming back from it. So we'll see how he comes back. We have to see, you know, training camp, preseason, whatever next year, how he's looking provided that the Knicks find some way to retain him. Cause you know, they're probably going to have to pay him this off season uh, as a restricted free agent. But as long as he comes back to the Knicks, like I do think that he would have made a really big difference in this series and would have potentially solved a lot of the issues, even though the, the big issue is that the Knicks need another, another primary ball handler other than just Julius Randall, because obviously he just can't get it done by himself out there. If teams are allowed to like double or soft double him, in a, in a playoff environment like this, but 
you know, I think that potentially Mitch might have been enough to to make a difference and at least at least make the series more competitive and force this maybe to six, seven games rather than it being honestly kind of an, an embarrassment. You know, it's it's okay to say that the Knicks had a great season and also acknowledge that this series was kind of embarrassing and the fact that they got they got absolutely destroyed the final three games of the series. Um, and they weren't even close. And honestly, if it wasn't for like a miracle half in game two, they were going to get blown out in that game too. Um, so it's, I, I think that there, there are some small things that could potentially have swung this one. Ultimately it's all just hypotheticals at this point, but I do feel pretty encouraged, you know, going into the off season about the Knicks chances. If they would happen to meet with the Hawks again next year, for example, uh, just based off the fact that they, I, I think would have been, pretty well off if they'd been able to have Mitchell Robinson in there instead of, and, and then had Taj like spelling him and probably Noel on the bench, if we're being honest, uh, instead of having to have Taj start the game and guard Capella and everything else with that, with the lack of length that he has, even if he has the strength to keep up with Capella and then Noel coming off the bench where, I mean, no, Noel just, he was not able to stay on the floor in the series. He had five fouls in like 10 minutes yesterday. It just was not pretty. So um, yeah, that's rant over, I guess. <laughs> but what do you think about all that? Yeah, Alex, um, I, I think, I mean, it, it honestly, it, it, the biggest implication of having Mitch back, I think might circle back to Julius Randle because the key to the Hawks whole defense on him in this series was that they could switch any player onto him knowing that they had Capella shaded over. And I, I bet when Atlanta was coming up with that plan pre-series, they were sort of saying to themselves, all right, occasionally this is going to result in him just bullying Trey Young or Kevin Herter and, and getting his exact shot in the mid-range. But if he's if he's going to live on forcing tough one-on-one stuff away from the basket, we're fine with that. Um, and it worked out better than the Hawks' wildest dreams because Randall was paralyzed by those switches. And he... He wasn't attacking them because he knew there was that second defender at the rim. And at a certain point when the threes weren't going in in the first two games, he just lost a lot of confidence on that shot. And you saw it in this one where he he had one play where he got a kick out. I think it was from Rose. And he pump faked, waited for the defender to get there, took a jab like he was going to drive, and then just settled for like a 24, 25-foot step back with a man in his face. And he missed it because he was making those shots in the regular season when he was in great rhythm, when he had great confidence, absent of both those things. He's just not a talented enough shooter to hit to hit that shot, uh, unless he's feeling himself. And and he wasn't. So it, it went away, and it looked really, really bad. Um, and the Hawks were, were probably celebrating and saying, oh my God, he's, he's not even like there, there were moments in this game where he had Trey Young on him and he, he would pass the ball. And it, that was true all series. And it, it worked just better than they ever could have imagined. And it's an adjustment that Randall's going to have to work on going into this offseason and just continuing to refine all these different aspects of his game and getting them sharper and sharper to the point where he, he knows what to do in all these situations when he gets mismatches like that and something that he'll have a full offseason to break down and look at the film on. Um, But the other part of this is that he just needs more help. And the reason Atlanta was able to make things so difficult on him was because the Knicks just didn't have a lot of other compelling options. And that's something that's going to be addressed 
this offseason. I, I want to get into a, a little a little bit of an optimistic topic, Alex, because we, we've been talking about a lot, a lot of negatives of this series and this game. And, and that was, I mean, in this one, the play of some of the younger guys on the Knicks. But first, I have to tell everyone, just like I'm betting on the futures of Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly, you can bet about on just about anything in the sports world with Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. You can get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device. And check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sports book experts. All right, Alex, we are once again back on the On Knicks podcast um I'll, I'll throw it over to you uh I I don't know I don't know how you felt about this in person but even though RJ Barrett shot horribly from the field uh, continuing a trend uh, all series long he was he was five for 14 um did compensate a little bit by making two threes and going five or six from the foul line I was honestly impressed with his effort for 40 minutes the, the finishing wasn't there he had he had one three that was quite literally halfway down and then went out from the corner off of a really good passing series had a couple other threes that were close Missed two or three layups around the basket that you got to just give Clint Capel a lot of credit. He either blocked them or did a great job altering them. But I, I was I was honestly really bullish on the game he played. And I think this showed what is ultimately his best quality in, in a do-or-die situation. He's, I mean, it, and again, it, it, this this is sort of with the, um, with the asterisk that his touch is going to have to get better. He's going to have to find ways to finish some of those shots consistently against the best competition in the world. But his whole attitude, his whole mentality really, really translates to playoff basketball in that, uh, unlike Randall, honestly, he he's just so clearly unafraid of the moment. Yeah, I thought so, too. I mean, I was I was impressed with RJ. I thought that he was attacking. I wish that maybe he and the whole team, honestly, would have pushed a little more in transition. It seemed like, you know, there was definitely a couple situations where RJ was bringing the ball down the floor. And I was like, oh, man, I know this isn't, you know, I know this is basically an even number situation, but I wish you would just try to try to drive right to the hoop right now because the half court offense, I mean, the half court offense was the thing that killed the Knicks in this series. And unfortunately, that's what they love to run the most. They just are not a big time transition team. I wish they would have just adjusted that a little bit and gotten out in transition a little more because I, I would have loved to have seen RJ, you know, driving to the hoop in transition and trying to draw fouls and stuff. Uh, even if he had a one-on-one matchup where he wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, 100% free to just make an uncontested drive to the hoop. But that, that brings up the officiating again, which, again, like, from my vantage point, when I, you know, so when the Knicks were shooting on the baseline that I was sitting at, I mean, I just, I thought that they were not getting a lot of calls for getting hacked around the hoop that I would have seen the Hawks getting. And I think RJ was included with that. Uh, granted, he did, uh, again, to be fair, he got played cleanly by Capella a, a few times on his drives, got his shot blocked, that sort of thing. But uh, I, I did think that there were some times where he went in and tried to be aggressive like that and went in and I thought got hacked. I mean, it looked pretty clear to me and there was no foul call. Uh, so it's, I mean, I guess I'm I'm sitting in the 200 section at MSG, not on the court like a ref, but 
it uh it seemed a little disparate to me but I, I liked how he played a lot you know I thought that he was looking to move the ball well I thought that he was attacking the defense in the best ways possible uh I I definitely thought you know even if it wasn't his best like I think the previous game was his best shooting game and probably his best game overall even if I I, I don't even know if there's any differentiating between the final three games of the series. Like they were all pretty bad on the overall for the Knicks. I think that game four is probably best one from RJ as far as his overall performance. But this one I thought was another positive sign. I think you give him another off season of work to work on his shot, work on his handle, work on those pull-ups, which he attempted one of those in this game and it, it didn't go in, but you know, that would be a huge development for him if he can get a pull-up three in his arsenal to just be able to take that quick screen on the perimeter and then, you know, get defenders to actually take him seriously. So then that could open up things for other players on the team as far as his pull-up shooting ability. Uh, I think that's something he is going to add because that's something that we really started to see folded into his his offensive repertoire more towards the end of the season. And I think that's, that's something that we're going to see going forward. Um, yeah, it, all in all, just I thought a, a really fantastic game from him. Uh, I have no complaints as far as RJ. You know, even though he and Randall both wound up with pretty similar like shooting percentages in this game and and pretty similar stat lines by and large, I I was discouraged by Randall's. I, actually, I guess other than the turnovers, which I guess is the big thing why RJ's game was better. Um, I, I left this game feeling pretty encouraged about RJ and in a way discouraged about Randall though. I still would give him the, which we'll have plenty more time to talk about this. So we talked about this with Stacy the other day, but um, you know, I don't have any issues with giving Randall another contract and paying him like max money to come back to the Knicks to be a second star. But I think, you know, that that's what my general assessment is of Randall at this point. But I, I actually think based off how RJ has played that, I, considering he's only 20 years old still and just coming out of his second year, I could still see a world where the Knicks get their alpha star, you know, whoever it may be. And Randall and RJ could almost be like co-second stars if RJ hits his potential because he really does have that much going for him as far as scoring ability, as far as defensive chops, uh, passing ability, rebounding ability for like a guard forward wing type player. He, he has a, a whole lot going for him in this series. It took him. It took a minute. It took the first, you know, two, three games for him to really find his footing. But the last two games, I think he really showed a lot and uh, and left a lot of hope out there for the future as far as him. Uh, I I know you want to talk about the other young guys, too. I, I'll just say for everything else that happened in this game. Probably the two biggest pops in the building came from Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. Uh, even though they're, they're, when I look at their stat lines now, I'm like, my God, I can't believe that <laughs> that that's all they had uh, because it just seemed like I, they like owned the building. I mean, Obi for that that uh, baseline layup that he broke off for and made and forced a timeout by the Hawks. Um, I forget what that brought the score within. It, I think it was single digits, or maybe that brought it to six or something. But that was a huge moment, um, and that sent the building like like, like the roof was going to come off. Everybody was chanting Obi Toppin during the timeout, um, all for just one layup. And now that I look at his total box score, I mean, he, he made some good defensive rotations and stuff, I noticed, as far as... Like, he's really good at... at 
shading over to a guy and giving that like soft double and then quickly getting back to his man before it, it can burn the Knicks. And uh, so I, I liked that about his game. I saw him do that a couple times. Um, but that that moment set the garden alight. And also Quickly's first three-pointer I was got everybody going. I remember myself just yelling, like, just do that every time. <laughs> just there's no other offense. Just like quickly shoot, <laughs> just like quickly shoot like 35 footers every single time here. Cause there's nothing else that's working. Um, that, that was a great moment. And his second three too. I mean, I, he, I don't think anybody can quite hold the garden in the palm of his hand. Like quickly can, um, just cause of the nature of how he plays. And I, hopefully he'll just keep getting better, improve his handle and stuff, improve his ability to, abuse single coverage because I that was the only thing I think that was concerning to me with quickly in this game was that he got switches that he wanted once or twice like there was one I think the one that's standing out in my head was Gallinari he got switched on to or he yeah. he, he got yeah, switched on to him and called the clear out you know started trying to break him down off the dribble and it managed to get towards the hoop but then it just I he either got blocked or uh just didn't get off a good attempt just because he couldn't create good enough separation. And, uh, you know, that is what it is, but he'll hopefully get better at that as time goes on. But yeah, those two, I'll let you comment on how the the experience was just watching them on TV or whatever, but those two really, they were the ones that, that really captured the (laughs) attention of the garden crowd and, and got the most love in this game, I think was, uh, OB and quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think quickly should have played more than 13 minutes. And, and I know he, he didn't shoot well. And especially in the second quarter, it felt like he was getting to good spots and then just not hitting. Like he had, a, he had a step back that went in and out. He had a runner that I, I thought, I mean, at least by Trey Young standard, should have been uh, a foul and it wasn't called. Um, and then he comes back in the fourth, hits that super deep three, draws a couple of fouls, um, makes a few nice reads. And, and he just gave the Knicks offense some juice that, that they weren't getting from the other guys they've relied on that for this season. Like I'm thinking particularly of, of Alec Burks, who, who definitely didn't have a bad game, 12, 6, and 4 in 24 minutes and had one, had maybe my, my favorite move of, um, of uh, certainly of the game, but maybe of the whole series when he had that, uh, I'm sure this was, this was probably pretty crazy in person, Alex, to like reverse behind the back into like the long step, like gather with one hand, then gather with two, then back to one layup. Like that was, he. Uh, there's something about Burks, his handle and his finishing and his shot. He just has such an aesthetically pleasing game. Like it's, it's very satisfying to watch him. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, it was, it, that was fun to see um, in person as well. And, and I mean, the whole experience in the garden was just pretty cool. I, it was, <laughs> it was deflating at the end. It was definitely the most deflated I think I've ever been in the garden at the end of that game, but um, I don't know. The, the environment was really cool. I, I don't, I don't regret going. I was honestly, I was on the fence about going because I, I really just had a feeling that they were going to lose, and I was like, oh, how much am I going to enjoy this? Like, I just, I don't think that they're going to win this game, and they're going to get sent packing on their home floor, and that's not going to be fun. But it, it was pretty cool. The my, <laughs> the only thing that I think was uh the most um irksome was the end of the game like everybody just kind of in the building realized you know this isn't going to happen the Knicks aren't going to win and tried to do a nice like send-off for the team you know and be like all right like let's give them a standing O. you know it's been it was a really good season 
you know, let's accept that. And then Trey Young hits his freaking, you know, logo three-pointer and does a stupid bow at half court. And so then, like, everybody had to transition from, like, full round of applause <laughs> for the yeah. Knicks to, like, boo, Trey Young, we hate you. Yeah, no, on TV, I was, like, I was just thinking, like, oh, no. Like, what is, do they just keep cheering for the team? Because then Trey will think it's for him. You can't do it. <laughs> exactly. And everybody, everybody very quickly transitioned to booing. And then switch back to clapping for the Knicks again. So, so, yeah. So I just hate Trey Young for ruining that moment. <laughs> it was just a nice, it was a nice like hallmark moment of everybody cheering for the team, even though they're losing, even though they're getting like smacked on their home floor. And Trey Young and his stupid hair had to just ruin the whole thing. So it's like the classic cartoon thing where there's like the cute little like animal. And then like, and you just watch, you watch like three minutes of the cute little animal living its life. And then like the animal gets stepped on and it's like the evil, like army general, like coming in to like invade the city or something. Yeah. Like it felt like this like perfectly wholesome moment. And then like super villain Thanos, Trey young comes in. (laughs) It's a, it's a crazy three. Um, But yeah, maybe, uh, maybe he'll get his comeuppance against uh, the Sixers though. If Joel Embiid is is out for that series, I I, I really, I know everyone's talking about how they think Atlanta's just going to get run by Philly and they might. Philly certainly has, the defenders to give them a lot more issues on the perimeter. And I mean, and Trey in particular than, than the Knicks do with Thibault and Simmons. But I don't know. I could, I, if Embiid is less than a hundred percent, I could see that being a series, but that, that is a conversation that is beyond the scope of this podcast. Uh, Alex, as we wrap up, do you, do you have any, uh, this is a lot of pressure to put on you, but any, any concluding words to, to sum up your thoughts on, on the Knicks season that was, and uh, I will say with the qualifier, we, we also, we have plenty of time to do that over the coming months. Yeah, I mean, I guess my so my big takeaway from the series is, you know, we talked about all the basketball stuff so much, so I don't feel like I need to get into that again. But the as far as the ambiance of this series, I definitely think there's a rivalry with the Hawks now. I really despise them. (laughs) So I think the Knicks certainly and I know I will have every single Hawks game circled on the calendar next year. And if the Knicks meet them in the playoffs again next year, it's going to be an angry, chippy series uh, because there's going to be no love lost, especially on the Knicks side where, I mean, the, the Knicks really, they got punked in the series. They they got beat on the court bad and they got trash talked and they couldn't do anything against it, uh, either on the court or off the court. And it was it was not a fun time for them, for the fans, for anyone. And uh, I definitely think, I mean, I'll go so far as to say that I care more about beating the Hawks than say like any of the teams in division, other than maybe the Celtics at this point. Um, I I very much dislike them. I think Trey Young did a good job painting himself as a villain, playing up all the, you know, he even said last night, like, Oh, I'm a, you know, I know I'm in New York. There's shows here. So, you know, I had to bow because it's the end of the show. Shut up. Like, very good job of making me hate him and hate the Hawks. So kudos on that. A new rivalry is born as far as the season in general. I mean, it's tough to sum it up into like a paragraph, but uh, of course they did so much more than we ever thought they were going to do this season. It's disappointing, disappointing to see them go out the way that they did. Obviously, you know, you don't want to see them get gentlemen swept in the first round and have it not be really a, a competitive series. From start to finish, um, I think all of us would have liked to have seen probably like six games or something, but it is what it is. You know, there, there were issues. The Knicks did have 
one it, they were mostly healthy but they had one very glaring injury which we mentioned which was the Mitch injury that maybe could have swung things a slightly different way um but as on the overall for this season the one thing is I don't think that this is going to be a one-off season like the you know the 2012-13 season where obviously that was now in in retrospect that was a one season blip on the radar of this this great magical fun season and then never again you know they they literally missed the playoffs the next year and didn't get back till this year my my hope is that this year will be viewed as the start of something rather than one of those shining beacons of you know every x number of years the Knicks are good um instead instead of it being like that and being this sort of I don't know trophy that (laughs) we hoist of like Oh, the, the 2012-13 season, that was like one of the best ones in Knicks history when they got knocked out in the second round. <laughs> uh, hopefully this year is viewed as the stepping stone. You know, the the uh, the Thunder getting beat by the Lakers, you know, when they were on their, their rise up to eventually make the finals sort of thing. Um, the Warriors, you know, in, in their first playoff series before their huge, you know, dynasty run or whatever. I'm not necessarily saying that the Knicks are going to be as good as either of those teams, but hopefully that's more how we view this year, that it was a stepping stone to something greater uh, in the future. Obviously, you know, the the future can only tell us how that's going to play out. But even if this is a year like 2012-13 and the Knicks go back to, you know, over-promising, under-delivering after this year, I'll still always remember this year as, as a extremely fun dare I say, magical year uh, where things went so much better than any of us could have predicted. And Julius Randle was truly a joy to watch. Um, you know, I, I I hope nobody lets this subpar postseason from him cloud what he did during the regular season, which was honestly, you know, next level stuff uh, and unprecedented as far as a leap for a guy this late in his career. Um RJ Barrett, you know, made such great steps. I I have faith that he's going to keep getting better. I think they have a really good young core and they have plenty of opportunities to add to that young core uh, of, you know, RJ quickly, Obi, you know, maybe Frank sticks around as a defensive specialist. Um, I don't think Knox is probably long for this world, but you got two new, two new guys coming in or potentially more in the draft uh, or potentially less if the Knicks decide to trade those picks, whatever. Either way, the future's bright. I I feel good about Leon Rose in the front office. I feel good enough about Tibbs right now to at least be that coach to get the Knicks back into relevance again, even if he's not the, you know, even if as much as I dislike this guy, even if he's the Mark Jackson to someone else's Steve Kerr, as far as this team's concerned, he what he did this year was really impressive. You know, managing to milk forty-one wins out of this really dry uh, roster here that was assembled essentially just full of consolation prizes um, and one-year you know mercenaries more or less. He managed to squeeze forty-one wins out of that. Very impressive. I won't forget about that anytime soon. But Gavin, I'll throw it to you to take it home if you have anything else to add. But my my overall final takeaway is just. I'm appreciative for this season. I'm appreciative for what it did in a really hard time in the world, in New York, in, you know, all of our personal lives, everything else with, with COVID and everything else. The Knicks came back and 
you know, managed to kind of put the city on their back for large stretches of time and, and give New York something to be happy about in a year when things generally were not very happy. Yeah. I mean, I think that was extremely well said. I, I don't, I don't, at least at the moment, I, I think, I think you summed it up really well. I don't have a lot to add in terms of big picture stuff. The only thing I will say is, is I am confident that this season will ultimately be a building block for bigger and better things just between the cap space, the draft picks, the age is of all, of all the best guys on the team. There's a lot of elements that should only get better over time. And it's on the Knicks to maximize it because now is sort of where the real work starts. And it's, it's easier said than done to say, all right, well, you got all this cap space, grab a few superstars, um, nail one or two more draft picks, find your next couple of Emmanuel quicklies and, and go to work. And, and and if you do all those things right, the, the ceiling of this is, is a championship team in New York. And I think, I mean, the biggest thing this postseason showed to me is just how much energy there can be in the garden, but throughout the city, every single time I leave my house now, I'm seeing multiple people, Nick's hats, Nick's shirts, Nick's jerseys. And I'm just, and, and I'm just kind of stunned by how, how much they've ingratiated themselves once again into the fabric of the city. And, and they are always there, but that passion is sort of reawakening now that there's actually something to root for and, and, and something to hope for. And I, I just think we're, we're almost not ready for what the upside or, or, or the ceiling of that could be if the Knicks fully capitalize on this opportunity. They they get the stars they need to get. They supplement with the right types of role players. Uh, Tibbs is either willing next postseason to to make adjustments to play in a different, more modern way that's essential to winning in postseason basketball, or if it's not him, he, he, that he continues to do a good enough job setting the foundation that whoever the next coach is could potentially take the Knicks to that final step, to that final level. But to your point, to my point, there are just so many reasons to be excited, and it can get a whole lot better. The Knicks just have to go to work and get it done. So on that point, we will sign off. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, Locked on Knicks, full off season ahead, full season ahead. Thank you so much to all of you for enjoying it with us. We hope you stick with us on Locked on Knicks.